0: We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. This month, we are doing a series focused on missions, and we're going to cover the gamut. We're going to look at what missions is, and we're going to look at how to do it, and we're going to look at how we as a, a community of believers can impact the community of uh, St. Martin's where we find ourselves and, and, and make a real difference. But there's a problem I, I find with the word missions, because everyone has a bit of a different idea as to what that term means. And, and some of you, as soon as I say missions, you'll be thinking about uh, a missionary uh, in Africa wandering from village to village with a Bible in one hand and a machete in, other, in the other hand, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of classic image of missions. And it reminds me of a A story I heard actually some years ago about a missionary in Africa not unlike that, and he was travelling from one village to another on a a dusty road, and he came across a very aggressive, very hungry-looking lion, as aptly illustrated behind me, and he freaked out, as would anyone in that situation. And, you know, being a God fearing man, his response to that was to drop to his knees and, in the midst of his panic, pray. And, and as the lion started to charge towards him, the first thought he had to pray was, Lord, make this lion a Christian. <laughs> and as he, as he prayed and the, the lion charged towards him, the lion stopped dead. And the lion made eye contact with him and then the lion closed its eyes and it bent down on its front paws like this. And the lion said, Lord, for this food that I'm about to receive. Now the point of the story is this, that mission is so much broader than just someone wandering around Africa from village to village. In fact, that Idea is about as old and dusty as, well, that, that joke that I told. No, see, missions is so much more than this. And I'm not going to go too far down this path, because John T is going to talk about this next week and really unpack what missions is. But because we're starting today, I kind of need to do just a little bit to get us all on the same page so that we, we all understand more or less the same thing when we refer to mission. So the word mission comes from the Latin missio, and it simply means to send. Missions is, is about all of us being sent into the world, and it's, it's not just the pastors, and it's not just the evangelists, and it's not just the communicators. It is all of us. We are all sent. We are all God's diplomats taking his message of salvation out to a world that doesn't know him. All of us. And we see this idea come through very, uh, very broadly in 2 Corinthians 5. This is Paul speaking. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word, world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. There's a whole bunch of passages in the New Testament about mission, but this is a really good one. And and it tells us simply that mission is God's people going out to introduce other people to God, so that they can be reconciled to him, that's what it says, to be made right with him, and to become disciples of Christ. It's not just those who jump on a plane and go to the jungle or go somewhere else, although it is absolutely them as well. And it's not just those who go into Cathedral Square to preach, although that's an important part of it. It's all of us. It's all of us wherever we go. The minute we step outside these doors... And we take God with us. We are on mission. We are a part of missions. And it's not a question of, are we sent? It is simply a question of, where are we sent? And for most of us, that is going to be to our friends, to our family, to our workmates, to our, uh, our neighbours, and, and out here, to our communities. That's mission, to be sent. It's really simple question is why? Why would we do this? Why would we go out and, and share our faith, which is a bit scary? Why would we risk being embarrassed, being humiliated, and, and in this environment potentially losing a job or, or losing a friend, why would we take that risk of humiliation? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the motivation for mission. Right? This, is, this is where we're starting. Rather than di- deep diving into what mission is and how we should do it, we start with why. Why should we do it? Because if we don't get that right, then the rest is going to struggle a little bit. And In fact, I'm not even going to answer the whole question of why. I'm going to zoom right into what I think is the most important part. What, what's the core? Because there are layers outside. You can answer that question, why mission? what God commands us to, and because it's, it's, we have that opportunity, and because we, we care about other people, and there's lots and lots of reasons why we should do mission, but I think there is a core, and that's, that's what I think we need to understand really well. If we want to see mission happen, if, if mission is going to work, or at least if effective mission is going to work, we need to understand and focus on the love of God. That is what is right at the core. If we're going to build a, a house of mission, which is what we want this to be, then we need to make sure the foundation is the love of God. Because if it is not, then that house is going to get real rickety real quickly. So if, imagine you're in, in my situation. You've got to, you've got to talk about the, the love of God. Where do you even start with that in the Bible? right? Because it's, it's the theme of the whole Bible, so how do, how do you pick a small piece out and in 20 or 30 minutes try and elucidate that? I mean, do you start with the cross? Do you, do you start with what Jesus did on the cross, this act of unbelievable, self-sacrificing love, putting, putting our needs and our relationship with him above himself at huge cost to himself? Or do you go to something a bit more intimate, like Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and in, in, in a way that just shows his, his humble nature and his tenderness and his love and, and his desire to engage with us at that really close level? Or do you focus on some of the stories, like Zacchaeus up in the tree looking down at Jesus, You know, this, this reviled character in his community, and Jesus brings him down and, and sits and eats with him and shows him love? Or the, the Samaritan woman at the, the well, again, this, this, this person that Jesus should never have been talking to, and he sees this invisible person, and he, he shows her love and care and affection. Where do you start? Well, I decided that I would follow my heart, because this is about love, right? So I would follow my heart and go to where I find the love of the Father most richly articulated in scripture and for me that is a story that is only in one of the four gospels and it is it's a little bit different it's a little bit unusual and it's very densely packed and for this one we're going to go to Luke 15 it is and you'll be familiar with it the story the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son and I'm going to read this out but I'm not going to read the whole thing because we're going to we're just going to zoom in real tight Now those of you who know the story will know it then goes on to talk about the elder brother who is rather less charitable than the father. But we're not going to talk about the elder brother today. In fact, we're not even really going to talk about the prodigal son. Today we are just going to zoom right in tight on the father who in the parable represents God and tells us quite a bit about God. So let's set the scene, because to really understand this parable, you need to understand something of the culture of the time in which the parable was set. And the first thing to notice is that the son demands his inheritance from his father. Now, as a father, I could say if my sons did that to me, they would get a pretty stern response. But if we zoom back into first century Palestine, then I can tell you this is an outrage. This is a deeply hurtful and hateful thing for a son to say to his father. It is, in essence, saying, I don't want you. I just want what you can give me. I I, I kind of wish you were dead already. That is how harsh this statement is. It's, it's It's a big, big deal. And let's be honest, sometimes this is how we interact with our Heavenly Father, don't we? We kind of, I I don't necessarily want to be with you right now, but I'll take all the blessings, right? That's that's kind of part of what's unravelling as the story goes on. But the curious thing is that the Father doesn't argue with the Son, the Father doesn't get angry, he just says, okay. He respects his choice, he respects his free will, and he gives him the inheritance, and Father lets him go, just like God lets us go when we do the same thing. He respects him. So the son then goes off to a distant country. Not a close country, mind you, but a distant country. He is wanting to get as far away from his father as he possibly can. He wants to be independent. He wants to make his own choices. He wants to do his own thing and be completely free from the father's influence. Again, you may feel some echoes and things that you've done at times, getting as far away as you can. But then, once again, as sometimes happens to us, things go spectacularly wrong for the prodigal son. Right? He is desperate. He is driven into poverty. And it's not until he reaches that low ebb, because he's human, that when he hits the bottom of the the barrel, that he finally makes a good decision and he decides he is going to go back to his father. He, is, he, he thinks, this is crazy. Why am I doing this? And he is going to go back to the father. Now, all of this is preamble to what I really want to say. This is where the story gets really good. And we, we focus on verse 20. The, the son gets up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. One verse. But oh boy, there's a lot in that verse. First thing to notice. The father saw him when he was a long way off. How's that? How does that happen? He's looking for him. The father is watching for him. Constantly, every day, watching and waiting for that son to come back. He is eagerly anticipating and hoping for that moment when the son will return. And the father did not give up on the son, even though the son had completely given up on the father. This tells us something about God. And when the son appears, it says the father was filled with compassion. Now, this is a great word in the original Greek. It literally means your liver... And intestines and kidneys—that's what the word means. And what it's reflecting is—it it is this deep, deep care and connection. It is—it's it, like they're going overboard trying to express how deep this concern was, right in the in the gut. So the father is not angry or chiding when the son comes back. What's the father thing he's saying? Is my son okay? Is my son suffering? Is, is my son doing okay? That is what he cares about. That's where his heart is. And so what does he do? He picks up his long cloak and he runs to his son. Now again, to us, this is, this is no big deal. It's, it's a little eccentric. It's, maybe, it's quite exuberant. But again, let's go back into the culture of the time. This time you have what's called an honor-shame culture. It's still quite prevalent around the world. It's still the basis for culture in the Middle East. But it's a little bit foreign to us. We don't operate like that in the West. But everything is about preserving your honour. And to do anything shameful just brings you down. You are almost sort of excluded from society. For an older man to do what the father does here is absolutely, totally socially unacceptable. It is humiliating. It is deeply deeply shameful, and would have absolutely lowered his standing in the community. It's an outrage. It's a, it's a shocking thing for this father to do. I cannot overstate how unusual this is and how shocking it would have been as Jesus told this parable for the father to do that. People would have revolved. No, 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 that, that sort of thing doesn't happen. But this father doesn't care about all that. He sees his son take the first step in the right direction. He picks up a skirt and he runs and he closes that distance with, with delight and enthusiasm and, and not a thought of anything else. And imagine the son. He's been working with the pigs. He stinks. He's covered in muck. He's been on a long journey. He's poor. And the father comes to him and he throws his arms around him and all that filth and stink and he doesn't care and, and he kisses him. Now again, this, it's important you understand in the, in the language, the word used here for kiss is not a little peck like that. This is repeatedly, fervently kissing him. right? It's, it's just all over him. He's just going nuts because he's so, so excited to see his son. He just loves them so much. And it's not some sort of formal love out of obligation. God loves you. It's not like that. It's not the kind of love that when you were a kid and your parents told you you had to love your brother and sister and you said, yes, of course I did, but you don't really. It's not like that. It is a love of deep acceptance and affection. It's a like as well as a love. It's a delight. It's an adoration as well as a love. And then, if just accepting the son back wasn't enough, see what he does next. He does four completely unnecessary things. He puts on him a robe, a ring, sandals, and then he orders a feast to be thrown for the son. Why does he do that? These things aren't necessary. He's restoring him. He is restoring his honour. He is bringing him back. He is communicating the fact that you are 100% my son. You're not down here. You're right up here. You are completely welcome back. You are completely covered. You are my son. You are honoured. I'm not going to hold anything that you've done against you. That's not going to be part of it. You're back. You're fully back. And that's that love of God just overwhelms all of that... Other stuff. Now again, if that were me, it'd be a little bit different. I can promise you there'd be a wagging finger. If, if my kids had gone out and done that, they wouldn't get necessarily such a warm response, would you boys? No, no you would not. There would be some anger. There would be some, some home truth. And wouldn't you expect that? I mean, again, put, go back 2,000 years to when the story is, is told. Wouldn't you expect that? But that's not the case. There's none of that. The father just leads with love. That's all there is room for here. A father absolutely enamored with his son and so desperate to be back in a relationship, so excited to be back in a relationship, and for the son to know the healing of that love. That's what our God is like. Absolutely, 100% and completely. This is a story he chooses to tell about himself so that we understand how he loves those that turn and come to him. This is what he's like. This is a father who would shame himself and and run and throw his arms around you. Celebrates when you come back to him. That's that's what he's like. And let us not forget, in this story, the son doesn't get any of what he deserves, the anger and the rejection. And he gets all this stuff, this restoration and healing and love and all of that that he does deserve. And it's a reminder that God's love does not, thank goodness, depend on our faithfulness. Because we are often not faithful. We are often demanding. But God continues to love us nonetheless. Isn't that phenomenal? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we know that verse so well, but man, this is extraordinary. C.S. Lewis puts it slightly differently. He says, when Christ died, he died for you individually just as much as if you had been the only person on earth. My favorite author, Brennan Manning, says, God loves you just as much as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. This is what scripture says without nuance and with utter precision. Just think about that for a moment. That God loves you as much as he loves Jesus Christ, his son. The very thought of it. This is our God. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just, just for 20 seconds. Just Think about that for a moment. Think about how much your God loves you. How does it make you feel? Right now, what does that do to you in your heart? You can open your eyes. Now, some of you will have a smile in your heart some of you will have a smile on your face some of you will get it some of you will go yeah that's right and if that's you, you are 100% in the right place, stay there now others of you may be a little bit sceptical and feel like I have overemphasised the love of God and you'll be bristling inside and saying but you haven't talked about his holiness and his righteousness maybe but I'm prepared to take that risk I'm prepared to believe that if we dwell upon his love, it will lead us to his holiness. I believe we'll talk about righteousness another time. Today is just for his love. Some of you will feel right now like you're identifying with the prodigal son. Maybe you're still off in that distant country and you're still feeding the pigs and you're still hungry. Maybe you need to take that first step back towards the father and reacquaint yourself with his love, because he is watching and he is waiting. Maybe some of you just really feel distant from this whole thing. Maybe you're, you you believe what I'm telling you, but it just doesn't resonate. It doesn't feel real. You can't connect with that sense of being loved by God. You, you can't feel it. Maybe you Maybe you never have felt it, and you're not sure... And these words will seem strange, but you're not sure if it's safe to believe that that love is there for you. And for some of us, and this is pretty common in in my generation, Generation X, some of us really struggle to connect with God as, as loving and tender, because that's not what our fathers were like. Many of us did not have a father that was like that at all, and so we really struggle to connect. This is a, an interesting quote from the movie Fight Club, which I hope you won't judge me for quite liking. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. If you have seen it, it's good, isn't it? Um, and in the film, the main character, Tyler Durden, says, our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? That's, that's kind of, that's a Gen X kind of thing to think. And, and some of you will instantly... Relate to that. Some of us feel that way. We we project our fathers onto God. Our fathers were angry and judgmental. And guess what? We struggle with the idea that God is angry and judgmental. Our fathers were distant, and so we feel like God is distant. Our fathers were disappointed in us. And so we find ourselves thinking of God as being disappointed in us. It's a hard thing to shake if you've ever been there. I want to tell you a personal story on this front, because this has been my experience. And this sense that God doesn't really love me in this way is something I battled for many, many years as a believer. And one day it came to a head. And I was, as, as part of missions activity I'm involved in, I was uh, up in the highlands of northern Thailand, many, many hours away from civilization, bouncing around in the back of a four-wheel-drive truck, and we were going to visit Hill Tribe villages that looked like that. In fact, that was the very village that we were going to. And we'd been driving all day, and I was in deep despair. I was just—I was in existential panic. I, I had convinced myself that God no longer loved me, that I had stepped outside of his love and his affection, and I was terrified. And all day as we, we drove like this, all day I was just praying the same thing. God, do you love me? Could you ever love me? God, do you love me? Just over and over again. And people were trying to hold conversations with me and I couldn't. I was, I, I was terrified, like plane crashing into a mountain terrified. I just, it was just the worst experience of my whole life. And then we got to the village and we, we, we had some food and, and then everyone went to sleep and I was sitting on one of these teak uh, stilt huts, sitting in a corner with a sleeping bag around me and I prayed all night. Hadn't done it before, I don't know that I've done it since, I just prayed all night, over and over. God, do you love me? Could you ever love me? Whew, boy, that was a tough time. All night, God, do you love me? God, do you love me? I was exhausted. I was absolutely the end of myself. And I remember sitting there and looking out the door and and seeing the first rays of, of the morning sun come through the jungle, which was ordinarily beautiful, but I was just exhausted. And I prayed one last time. I said, God, do you love me? And he spoke to me. For some of you, that will be commonplace. For me, it never has been. But he spoke to me. I said, God, do you love me? And he said, of course I do. Four words. And boy, I tell you, in that moment, my whole life was changed. I just, that sense of his love absolutely washed over me, head to toe, and I worshiped him and I, I, I wept and, and I just, I sung that song, I Love You, Lord, very quietly because there were other people around. And I was just uh, so gripped by the sense of the reality. Of the love of God. Does God love you? Of course he does. The same God that made it clear to me is the same God who would pick up his skirts and, and run and throw his arms around the prodigal son. Would he do that? Of course he would. God is love. Love. See, for us, love is a trait or a characteristic or or maybe an action, but for God, it is his identity. He can be no other than love. In the novel Descent into Hell, the main character says, God's love is a given. It is always there, waiting patiently for us. We need only turn to him to receive it. He is pleased with our effort, but even more pleased with us. That's why he made us. You cannot earn God's love because he gave it to you before you started to earn it. Do you get it? Do you understand? Because as we begin Missions Month, it is critical that you understand God's love and you draw it into your heart. That is, o- that is the only way that missions really happens. That has to be the motivation, is that that wellspring of love in your heart. That has to be the motivation for effective missions. See, too often a uh, mission month starts with someone like me standing up here saying, you people need to be doing more. You need to share your faith more. And don't you know there's people dying out there? And, and so the the goal, or at least the likely outcome, is that you all feel a bit guilty and you go out and you do stuff for a wee while as long as that guilt lasts. But The thing is, guilt doesn't last that long, does it? It fades away, and so does the action fade away that goes with it. So instead, I want to start Missions Month by encouraging you to remind yourself of your first love for God. The best motivation for whatever we do in missions is a heart response as we ponder the magnitude of God of his love. I don't I don't particularly want you to get excited about missions out of guilt. And I don't think God does either. I don't think that's what he's after here. It's just then it's just an obligation. But when we cling to and and we really experience the love of God like the prodigal son did, maybe that love will sustain us in mission. Maybe that love will change our mind and and give us something that we actually want to share with others. Even when it's scary to do so. The, the, the fear doesn't necessarily go away. But we find that that love in our heart is something that we just have to share. Maybe we will see enough value in that love and, and treasure it. And, and we'll overcome our fears and our hesitations and step into the unknown. And, and maybe we'll, we'll start that conversation. Maybe we'll go talk to that person. Maybe we'll... We'll help that person, maybe we'll pray, maybe we will weed a garden for an older person, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do something. But before we find our, our courage and our boldness, before we share the good news, we have to remind ourselves how good it is, and that's what today's about. So let us begin this wonderful journey into the world of being missional by accepting the love of God for ourselves. If you've never known it, today's the day to find it. If you've wandered off a little bit, today's the day to come back. And if it's right there for you, today is the day to celebrate it above all else. So take off your impressive, acceptable, everything is going well in your life, Christian cloak, and just spend some time soaking in the love of God because that's what we're here for. And if you have never experienced the love of God, I get the music team to come up. If you have never experienced the love of God and you find your heart being poked today, then we need to have a conversation today. And, and, And as they're playing this next song, Come on up. If you need to be prayed for, come on up. If you need to be reminded, come on up. If you need to be introduced to the Father, come on up afterwards and we'll pray for you. I want to finish with this. The words of a persecutor of Jesus' followers, a man who had a dramatic encounter with the love of God and found out for himself what God's love looked like. Take these words into your heart. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's true. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.